Yo, welcome to another episode of Optimize Your Body podcast. And today, ladies and gents, I'm going to be resharing an incredible episode from well over three years ago, pre-pandemic, with my man, Adam Schaefer. Now, Adam is one of the co-hosts on the number, the world's number one health and fitness podcast in the whole world. That's no exaggeration. They're officially number one, Mind Pump. You've probably heard of them. If you haven't, you may have been sleeping under, under a rock. Um, and yeah, he's a friend of mine. I've interviewed him a few times on the podcast, but this particular episode, you're going to get an absolute ton of value from it. You only have to see in the show notes, all the ground we covered. And I'm just going to give you a quick lowdown on Adam. Now, Adam, just to give you a quick, uh, thing on his background before I let him take it away. Adam had a lot of adversity to overcome as a child. He lost his father to suicide at the age of seven and bounced around to nine different homes by the time he was 17. He was bullied in school, which ultimately led him to being homeschooled. And in the midst of his childhood turmoil, one constant in Adam's life was his love for sports, right? He was a natural athlete who loved snowboarding, water skiing, basketball, and anything else sports-related, quite like myself, to be honest. Uh, But Adam's love for sports led him down the path of learning about fitness and nutrition. Adam got started with his career in fitness in 2001 right? His first entrepreneurial adventure was as a child of 10. So it seemed natural for Adam to become an entrepreneur in fitness. As a part of his ongoing quest to learn and grow in his career, Adam has obtained certifications from top fitness training institutions, including the International Fitness Professionals Association, the National Academy of Sports and Medicine, the National Council on Strength and Fitness, and the National Exercise and Sports Trainers Association. Now, Adam also prioritizes his own fitness and has worked diligently to become an IFBB men's physique pro, which allows him which allows him to compete as a professional bodybuilder early in his career. Adam discovered that he loved to train and teach others. He has worked with over a thousand people as a trainer and fitness expert and deeply values the lessons he has learned from clients. In addition to training clients one-on-one, Adam has also, he's led boot camps, provided nutrition consulting, and helped other trainers improve their sales and leadership skills. And Adam's really found a a way to train and teach even more people through Mind Pump. Adam found that combining his passion and expertise with that of Sal, Justin, and Doug gives him the opportunity to make a big impact on the fitness industry. I would say an absolutely colossal impact. I think big big is an understatement. And yeah, finally, he really hopes to change it for the better and bridge the gap between wellness and performance. So through Mind Pump, Adam wants to offer a media outlet that provides fitness and health education in the most entertaining way possible. So ladies and gents, I'm going to get let you get stuck into this episode. Uh, before we get stuck in, please give me a rating and review on Spotify and iTunes. I would love uh, to hear what you think about the podcast and make this podcast, you know, uh, more kind of get more people to listen to the, you know, incredible, valuable, uh, can't get my words out, incredible, valuable content on this podcast. So Enjoy. Hello, everyone. So I've got an incredible guest on the line here, uh, another co-host from Mind Pump Media. Obviously, you listened to the episode recently with Sal, which uh, was my top downloaded episode, and I re-released that recently over the last few weeks. But on the other end now, I have Adam, who is the, uh, like I said, he's a co-host, and I'm not going to butcher the introduction because I tend to do that a lot. I'm going to I'm going to leave this one to Adam. So uh Adam t- tell us who you are and what you're about, my man. 
Well, well, first, I feel like you did that intro just to make me competitive. You know that uh, Sal and I are extremely competitive, so you, you dropped that he has the number one downloaded episode in your intro there. You in my, my intro, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we have to come over the top of whatever the hell Sal talked about. Adam is uh, dangerously no, so. competitive. I just wanted to say so. Yeah, that was my that yeah. was my tactic, mate. <laughs> uh, I tell you, that's one uh, one of the things I love uh, about working with the boys. So I'm you know one of four owners of uh, Mind Pump Media. So there's uh, three of us host Sal, Justin, and myself uh, that host the podcast. Uh, but Doug is also an equal partner in the company, and really. You know, Mind Pump has uh, Mind Pump Media, the the parent company, has outgrown uh, the Mind Pump podcast. Right, the podcast is the medium that we chose to use to get our information out there, get known uh, for what we what we do. Uh, but really, the entire time we were building a company to uh, build around uh, the network of people that we would 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 soon create through the podcast. So. Uh, you know, Doug is uh, not is not only the producer of the show, but he's also one of the most intricate parts of the entire business. Arguably, the most important uh, with all the roles and hats that he wears on the back end. So, yeah, Mind Pump Media is uh, a media company where we have used uh, platforms like YouTube, podcasting, you know, Instagram, Facebook, all your social media outlets uh, to present health and fitness information and. You know, when we first moved into uh, this space, uh, the social media space, we all had about 15 years already, uh, and Sal, a little bit more than that, like 18 at that time, experience in the industry. Um, and we knew that there was a lot of misinformation out there, and there wasn't uh, a lot, of, and there was good information too, but unfortunately, it's less popular. Uh, especially in the social media world. So what makes you famous on YouTube or makes you famous on Instagram uh, is it's visual. It's more of an entertaining platform. So unfortunately, the guy who is a scientist and has got a dry personality and is dropping very intelligent information doesn't always make it to the top. And instead, uh, the consumers are con continuously bombarded with uh, fake news, you know, with people that are, you know, look great or uh, attract a lot of attention. Um, but then the information they're providing is, uh, is garbage for the most part. Uh, and it's disguised and wrapped in things like hype and motivation uh, to attract people. And because that feels good to watch those things. And so when we moved into the podcasting space, uh, we saw we saw this and said, you know, we are going to try and fight fire with fire. Can we be uh, entertaining enough to rival some of these entertaining people that got all the attention, but then still provide science-based, really good information like a lot of these really intelligent, brilliant minds that we've all learned from that nobody's paying attention to? So that was really uh, the vision of Mind Pump when we first got started, and uh, it's now evolved into that. Where you know, there's tons of stuff that's constantly working on the business. Uh, but most people that know uh, who I am, or Justin or Sal, they know us from the podcast. I know that's how you uh, first got connected with us a few years back. That's right. Um, I don't. Did you actually, Martin? Did you find uh, one of us on Instagram first, or did you find us first through podcasting? I found you I through remember. podcasting. So you, you guys, Mind Pump was the first ever podcast I listened to. That would have been around about, I think, almost five years ago now. But my good friend Andrew Bond. Obviously, you you met Andrew. We both uh, both mm -hmm. appeared on your podcast, didn't we? 
Yep. Yeah, and he was the he was the man. I I just just literally found out what a podcast was, and he said, "Mate, he said these guys, these are what you want to tune into." And I, I said this to Sal, I think, on the other episode. But uh, the first ever podcast I listened to was the one on CrossFit, yeah. <laughs> and I was straight away I was like, "Man, these guys are gold." I'm gonna tune in more. Uh, and that podcast, like I was, it was entertaining as hell, but it was also very informative. And I just wanted to say, uh, just, you know, I want to big you guys up. I want to do that as much as I can because I wouldn't be here now, most likely wouldn't be here podcasting if it wasn't for you guys. And and what you've literally changed the way I think, you've changed the person I am. Um, I just want to highlight that because uh, a lot of the audience, you know, I, I sometimes forget and just get caught up. But honestly, it was a lot of the stuff you were saying, most of it was stuff I kind of already knew. Some of it wasn't. But you guys just reinforced it and you just, you know, like you said, with the science, you were just hitting us with, as you say, raw facts. It's no messing around, no bullshit. But it's like the, the chemistry you all have is it's an amazing thing. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to big you up on that, mate, honestly. You've done a great Hi, job. And, and I've got my little, uh, you know, you know what it's like word of mouth ads. Even the day we live, day and age we live in now, obviously social media and all those platforms are number one. But word of mouth is still powerful, you know. So yeah, one hundred. One of the things that I know about that is, and that this is, you know, I guess the benefit of us, all of us guys being, you know, forty plus years old is, you know, we understand that because before all social media, all that stuff existed, uh, the way you grew or scaled any business was that, you know, through word of mouth or advertising, and you, and then once you get somebody to pay attention to whatever it is that you're doing, uh, then it always comes down to value and price. You know, are you providing? enough value to warrant whatever the price is. And, you know, we knew that we had so much information to provide and give to the audience that if we just inundated them with so much valuable information that it didn't matter what we chose to sell at one point, uh, people will already feel like we have provided so much value that the price of whatever it is that we were to monetize wouldn't matter and that's really the foundation of this business was the ability to do that. Can we provide that much that when we say, hey, we have programs that we've created to you know, make it? Because when you think about it, especially someone like you who's been listening since day one, uh, you could never buy any of our programs and you could take and piece all the information that we provide on the podcast and build the best program for yourself anyways. 100%. Uh, so, so the fact that you know that's the way we monetize, it, it's because most people that buy from us, they do buy out of support. And that is because there's so much. And this is something I try and teach to a lot of the aspiring entrepreneurs that are in fitness that are wanting to build something similar is that that's the secret sauce. That's the formula. The formula is can you provide more value to these people's lives that whatever it is that you're monetizing or selling seems insignificant to that. Mm. And then, oh, by the way, if whatever it is that you're monetizing or selling is also adding more value and that in itself is valuable to them, then it's kind of a no-brainer. And it's it's why the business has been as successful as it has. It's because we, we led with that first. How much can we give uh, before we ever thought about monetizing? And then even when we did monetize, it was already after we had provided so much value that people felt that way. And I remember day one when we, we turned it on and, you know, at least half of the people that purchased, uh, reached back out and said, you know, this is, this is because I, I'm, I support what you guys are doing. I'll buy anything that you guys put out to create, uh, because you've already fundamentally changed my life so much. I owe you so much. And that 
that to me, and I think all the boys, when we were first building this, that's when we really knew that we we had a real business and that we can we could build this and you know slowly scale it. And it's been uh, it's been exactly that. It's been a slow, gradual, year over year uh, growth on in all areas. And uh, you know it's it's getting fun now. You know we're five years deep into it, and uh, it's it's getting to the place where it's pretty neat to sit back and. Uh, see all the moving parts that are, are within it and all the people that we've now created jobs for. And uh, that's extremely rewarding, uh, especially for me. I mean, that to me is one of the motivators of doing what we're doing is, um, isn't just proving that we can build a successful model for ourselves selfishly, but being able to provide jobs for other people and then highlighting other fitness professionals that are doing great work out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you guys pride yourself, like you said then about adding value and having an impact these are things that I really, once again, reinforce for me when I when I started tuning into you, because I, I you know, being a having coached people now for about fourteen years myself, I all, you know, as as we've said, as you guys have said on the podcast before, you know, you to to be at the point where you're still doing it after a few years, you know, it's gone beyond you being passionate about fitness, and it's, it now becomes your purpose, and that's and that's where I was at anyway. But then, you know, adding value and actually going out of your way, even on social media and by creating a podcast, I think putting that as your priority is like, how can I really help people? How can I impact this person's life? Uh, and and once again, you guys help me think along those lines, as opposed right. to, as a you know, as opposed to thinking of stuff which is not as important, like you know how much money I'm going to make off my programs or whatever that is. Or I've always been, you know, I've always had that integrity. But you know, you guys definitely inspired me there for sure. Awesome. Yeah, and on that, that kind of takes us into a segue into uh, integrity. I was I mentioned integrity, integrity there. And all you guys definitely pride yourselves on that. And in fact, I've heard you say time and time again that, you know, you could have you could have gone a faster route to where you want to go in terms of, you know, marketing and sales programs. Yes, that's it. But but you never and, you know, you stuck to your guns. And as you say, it hasn't been it hasn't been a short route. It's taken you five years until you can maybe not take your foot off the gas, but start actually seeing, oh, wow, this is becoming something special. But. There's a lot of in the fitness world, Ed. What I'm trying to say is, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bullshit out there. In fact, it's it's primarily bullshit out there, especially on the internet. What challenges have you faced, Ed, cutting through all that and you know st- sticking to your guns? Well, I think the the biggest challenge, especially uh, early on, um, was uh, we're just outnumbered. Uh, being outnumbered and the outlets that are providing some of that information are much light, larger and influence more people than we do. So even when we think we put together, like for example, how you found the podcast through, you know, why we don't CrossFit, like, you know, there's so many people that are jumping on that bandwagon that are talking about how amazing it is. And of course, anybody who owns a CrossFit, CrossFit box is promoting it and trying to sell the idea. And here we are out, uh, out here countering uh, what we think about it for the average person and why. And uh, that's not because we're trying to throw shade on that business or we uh, have any sort of animosity. It's just truly because we want to help people. And we're used to, for two decades, training the average person who wants to be in better shape and feel better. And that type of programming we know is just not the most sustainable for 90% of the population. It doesn't mean that there's not a small percentage that will have success with it or love it or was the best thing ever for them. It's just, you know, the, and so the message that we are promoting, uh, the, the greatest challenge was just the sheer size 
of the podcast when we and the and our media company when we were first growing it. And still this I mean, we're still small in comparison to some of the biggest news outlets that are still providing crap. So even though we may feel a little bit in our own little bubble that we've, you know, impacted the the fitness world, uh, we really uh, we really feel like we're we've done very little in the grand scheme of things of who we're really trying to impact, and that's the people that aren't even making their way into the gym yet. So uh, that's the the hardest thing is is just that is you you feel like you put something out, you really help a bunch of people. And then all it takes is someone like Gwyneth Paltrow or something who's got massive <laughs> following and influence. You know what I'm saying? I heard about to that say thing something recently as well. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know she can, you know, make her candle smell like vagina and sell something that has nothing to do with fitness. But you know she doesn't provide the fitness information either. And so that that's the challenge, you know. But again, that's also I think what uh, we enjoy that challenge. I enjoy that uh, we're. You know, a very small at first podcast that we're trying to uh, put out really good information that eventually it'll grow. And and now we're at a point where we're at least uh, we're at a point now where we have to be careful about what we talk about because then people think we're bullying. So mm. uh, we have to be really careful and cautious of that. So at the beginning, it was hard because we were so small. We weren't making much of an impact or a wave at all if we said anything. Uh, that took a really long time to get to a place where we actually have real power influence in the fitness space. Now that we're there, now we have to be very careful on how we say things or do things because then well, we could come across like we're bullying. Like I can't just pick on the you know most famous butt model girl on Instagram who's got a million followers and is trying to sell programs and she's got terrible advice. Like I can't just go pick on that girl or say something about her or I'll look like I'm singling her out and bullying her because the influence that we have is much greater in our space than probably hers is, even though on Instagram, she's got a million eyes potentially looking at her. Uh, it still comes across as bullying. So we have to be really careful about how we, we talk about subjects that may annoy us because we see a lot of this misinformation. So that's probably been a, a newer challenge because of the size of the show now. Yeah, for you guys not to uh, not to speak your mind. Well, not 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 to say you're not speaking your mind, but to actually have to hold back and bite your, you know, bite the bullet and not say anything. Sometimes it must be quite challenging because obviously you want to yeah. just say how it is, like you always do. Right, and that was a lot of what a lot of what grew the podcast was coming out and pointing out all this stuff. And I think that's what people appreciated is we held back no punches. And when you're punching up, it's okay. You know, when you're when you're punching up at the 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 organization or the people that are more popular or bigger than you are, uh, nobody seems to mind. But you start throwing those jabs when you're at the same level or bigger and more influential than those people, then you then it's then it comes across as bullying. So you know that's a, that was a transition that we've we've had to make. And you know, I think there was times in the in the podcast where we we begin to feel that because you got to remember someone like you, you've been around since day one, so you've a appreciated the message every, and and support us and know where our hearts are and that we're the, we come from a place of purity uh but if you're somebody who dropped in today and that episode you hear i'm ragging on some girl on instagram who's putting out some you know bogus product or whatever like that uh yeah okay well if you've never heard me talk before and your first experience is me ragging on somebody and you you us looking on the outside and if you're coming in now we look to be uh, the size that we really are. And so people, I think, like, oh, who are these assholes, you know, who are picking on this, you know, random girl. So we have to be careful now mm. on how, how we present information uh, that we don't like, that we can't always just use examples of somebody who we saw before who was much bigger than we were. 
because it comes off that way. So that was a that was a switch or a transition uh, in the growth of the business that we had to go through where it was like, oh, before it was like, you know, throw punches at anybody who's putting bad stuff out. But mm-hmm. and I think an example, and I, I believe you follow him and he's uh, connected to us and a friend of ours, too. Of what happens when you don't give a fuck and you keep doing that is kind of a Lane Norton approach. Yeah, good, good front bars. Um, but you know, he sometimes I think he forgets like that he he's he's very big and influential now in the space, and you know he he just takes on everybody, and you know a lot of people will end up not liking you because you do come off like a like a bully because of your size. And we never, when we were small, we never had to think about that. It was never like, sure. Oh, we're going to, we, we can't be the bully. We're the small guy fighting back. That's what yeah. we, we look like the small guy fighting back two years, two, three years ago, where now we look like the big bullies who are just picking on people that are just trying to find a way to make money, you know? Yeah. I see what you mean. As you said, people, they just get the wrong impression, right? Especially when they tune into uh, you know, when, like you said, if they tune into their first podcast, and once again, you're just being honest. You're not really hating, but they get the wrong impression and they're like, they, they think that you're hating. And then as we said about word of mouth, and it's just like, when you get that big, I guess these are things I never really I never really thought of, but uh, that's that's like a new challenge you must have to face. It's very interesting. Ad. Oh, 100%. I mean, back in the days, it used to be, you know, you know, nine new people listened or 10 new people listened and one of them was turned off by that. Who cares? We gained nine people. One, you don't feel that. You don't notice it's one person. Uh, but that one person, you multiply that by thousands mm. uh, because the, the podcast has grown th- at that rate exponentially. Mm. So now it's you know nine thousand people that we turn on about it, but then we lost a thousand people. Mm. You know, a thousand leads because we came off this way, right? So yeah, there's things like that. That and then how do you do that while also navigating with being 100% authentic, radically honest, all of our core values, which you were kind of alluding to. Uh, you know, how do you? maintain that integrity of who you are and what you're doing but at the same time too being uh, self-aware of uh you know somebody who potentially is just coming in the first time and this is their first impression of me um i have to be more careful of that now where when we were unknown and small it was less important where now it's become you know really important to uh be aware of how we deliver a certain message absolutely and speaking of speaking of integrity and you know being honest and all those kind of things coaching um let's talk about because obviously you've got over two decades experience as a personal trainer i myself i've been doing this for about around about 14 years now and the online coaching space is is something that i've tapped into over the last year or two and i've started picking up more and more online clients um but it still blows my mind adam um because i tend to search for instagram every now and then just to see what's going on see you know what kind of information's out there get some new ideas or whatever and what I find is, is literally everyone's, everyone's an online coach. So, you know, I, I prep a lot of people for competitions and stuff, similar to what you've done uh, for bodybuilding competitions. And what I've mm-hmm. noticed is literally everyone who's done a show, nine out of 10 of them are now an online coach. It's, it <laughs> yeah. still blows my mind that, that I was looking yesterday and I thought I have to bring this up. <laughs> I yeah. Mean, well, it's, yeah. it is getting worse before it's getting better. And that's just, and you know, uh, in the defense of the people that are doing the coaching that probably shouldn't, I mean, I, I know what happens, you know, what happens is it, it, because we have these social platforms that are visual and somebody sees, you know, their friend from that they went to high school with, you know, 10 years ago, Susie and Susie is now, you know, decides that she's going to get into this com- competitive world and you watch her transform her body. Uh, that's all you see, you know, Susie, she transformed her body. 
to the best looking uh, woman's physique you've ever seen personally, and you know her, uh, you instantly trust her because you know who she is. And so you reach out and you ask her, Hey, how, how did you get in shape for that? And you know, that's happening to so many of these, uh, people that decide to get into competing that it's the kind of this aha, but thing happens, right? Like, oh my God. Like I, I had 10 people DM me about, you know, helping them get ready for that. I, I don't have a degree in this or I've never really coached anybody, but Hey, um, I know lots of people that are doing that. Why don't I just, you know, charge these people a few hundred bucks a month and I'll prep them just the same way I prep myself to get ready for this. Or my coach told me to do for the show. I'll just share that same information. Like, and so it becomes a really easy way for people to monetize uh, their social network that they've built by probably sharing their bikini pics and their body. And uh, it seems like an easy uh, progression or transition into entrepreneurship. And so it, it's growing uh, incredibly fast. Um, yep. And, you know, an example, uh, since we brought up CrossFit already, this is kind of what, what Greg Glassman uh, envisioned when he uh, set the CrossFit boxes up as affiliates instead of as a franchise or as a business to where he's held responsible. Probably one of the most brilliant things that he did. So he, he sets it up. So, you know, everybody, he's not reliable for any of the bad information that's being said or the bad coaches that are teaching people horrifically. If he was a company or he had a franchise that would, that would, that would impact him uh, because he is set it up as an affiliate or a collective, like it's structured that way. He has no, uh, he has no attachment to that. So, mm. so I could be a, a, you know, regular old, old dude who just gets the certifications, opens up, gets whatever to pass and say, I'm a CrossFit box. And then I am doing the worst programming you've ever seen. I'm hurting people. Glassman's protected because of the way he structured that, that business model. So, mm. Uh, he laid the blueprints of, of how to kind of set yourself up that way. And I think we're seeing the same thing with online coaching. And I think the same evolution uh, that you have seen with CrossFit coaching, because I'm sure there's somebody that's listening right now that might be getting offended. 100%. Uh, what's happened is the ones that are, you know, educated, experienced, know better than to train people like shit are starting to, you know, add their mobility component and start to program better. And they understand periodization. They understand a scaling volume and levels of training. And so they're starting to implement all their knowledge in it. And the cream is rising to the top. Mm. And that would be Glassman's response to somebody who were ever to put him on the hot seat and go, what do you think about all these CrossFit, CrossFit boxes that are people are getting hurt and this and that? And he'd say, well, you know, that's part of a, a business growing and scaling like this. Eventually, more and more people will hear about it, find out about it, and they will find gyms where there is a good coach and the cream will rise to the top. And so uh, we are in the in this bubble right now of anybody and everybody that's on Instagram that has a thousand or ten thousand followers that gets their body in great shape, also has a small little business on their hands that they can turn around and flip uh, to selling people online coaching, and they're getting away with it. Um, but I don't see any none of them. One, that's an incredibly hard business, by the way, to scale. That's the mm -hmm. reason why I'm not in it. Uh, it's, I think it's a, a cool way to make money. It's a nice thing to have on the side, or if you p just love coaching people and you're not really driven to make more and more money or scale to s something much larger, uh, then sure. It's a, I think a cool little viable business that you can build, but it's, it's a tough model to scale, um, mm, it is. in the first place, uh, especially once you get beyond yourself. So even for a good coach, even if you're uh, intel super intelligent, you're giving incredible 
you know, service to your, your people online. Let's say you're the best of the best. Okay. Well, you're the best of the best. You know, what happens when you've got 30 people that want to pay you? That's fucking awesome. And most people that are building that business go, you know, I'll worry about that problem when I'm there and I'm rich. Okay. Well, you're there. Let's just fast forward there. You're there. You're making a quarter million dollars a year, virtually coaching. Uh, you found that your capacity is probably, I said 30, but it's more like probably 20. If, even if you're really organized, right. Oh, yeah. Once you get, beyond, once you get beyond 20 people that you're helping virtually the, the business, your service substantially decreases on what you're capable of delivering, even if you have systems put in place. And now how do you scale? Okay. Your only option now is more of use. So now you have to go and find other people that you can literally replicate yourself. That's fucking very hard to do in business. Mm. Uh, so it's just, it's a tough model to scale uh, for a great trainer and somebody who's doing a great job. It's going to be incredibly hard to scale for someone who's doing crappy service. So, you know, for someone like you who's in that space and that, that would be considered competition for you, I wouldn't think of it like that. I would actually go, well, this is actually a good sign. There's still room for shitty ass coaches to keep popping up all over the place. Those are all just people that are going to feed my funnel. Oh, absolutely. Because- that's, that's the thing. Yeah, I looked at it that way. I thought, wow, it's still a huge opportunity. And the yep. thing is, like, I mean, I understand it's a good point you made, actually, because in their position, I see what they, you know, they've done a competition. They've got 10 DMs, like you said, people asking them for coaching. And then they're just like, okay, I can just show them what I done to get in shape. And, and that's kind of the yep. end of it. But in reality, a lot of these people have never, some of them have, but a lot of them have never coached anyone, you know? Um, right, right. And I remember you saying before, actually, you know, you should have at least three to five years experience having coached people because once again, as you said, you, you don't know what questions to ask. You have no idea really in terms of, um, you know, what kind of feedback to get off them, mobility issues, all those kind of things you haven't actually learned from, you know, face-to-face interactions. And, you know, I think that's really important. Oh, I think that's um, extremely important. And, you know, until we come out, until somebody comes out with an extremely thorough online, uh, you know, for online coaches, a certification. Uh, I haven't seen anything yet that's blown my you know, blown my doors off that I think is ext- that extremely valuable. But until we do, I can't imagine trying to coach somebody without at least three to five years of coaching people in real life. Just because, and and I would say minimum of that. I don't know. I, I know I wouldn't have been uh, half the virtual coach that I was without all the hands on experience. Because mm-hmm. to your point, I just. I wouldn't know what questions to ask. And, you know, I, and I always, I always already know now, like from all the years of hands-on, like when I tell this client to do this workout, I know what's going to be challenging mechanically. And I, I know I need to know what to ask her, you know, like, Hey, I know today you did squats. What did you feel? What did you notice? Like, and I want to hear the feedback and then based off the feedback, Oh, I felt it a little bit in my knees, or I noticed that, you know, the video that you sent me of how you're doing, I, I wasn't doing it correctly. Okay send me a video so I can then look at that. You could be, this could be happening. This could be happening. And so all those things are because I watch so many bodies move through a squat that I can predict, you know, what potentially could go wrong just because of law of averages that because, you know, X amount of people that have ever, I've ever taught how to squat. Uh, these are the common areas that they have deficiencies in. And then for sure that's confirming if they're telling me this hurts or I feel it here. And so, yeah, I mean, if you, if you didn't train somebody in person to pick up on all that, how are you going to be able to cue them and coach them uh, online or over the phone with, without that experience? I don't know. And I don't know in a, uh, an online certification yet that is extensive enough 
to teach those uh, people that don't go through that process uh, all the right questions to be asking them. And I mean, it's opportunity uh, for somebody who's listening that is interested in, in creating something like that. I think one day we will. I think we're, we've talked uh, many times about a, a mind pump academy and we've had a lot of trainer uh, coaches reach out to us and uh, ask if we would build a certification. Uh, and the way we look at it is we are, we're continuing to con- add free, valuable content that, you know, uh, one day we'll, we will um, aggregate all that into a, you know, an academy or a, a fast track of learning where we, you know, weed off all the things that's probably less important and start to uh, aggregate all the information that is uh, pertinent to, you know, someone learning how to be a better virtual coach. So I see opportunity in the space to create something like that. But for those of the people that are, and I see it too, that are, you know, never trained somebody in person, then the next week they are online coaching. Uh, I think that's crazy. I think it's crazy and it's absurd. But it, again, it just shows how much opportunity for someone like you there is for people. There's people out there still searching that are looking for help. Uh, and all they know is to reach out to that person who they, you know, went to high school with and they've now seen do a body transformation. That's their closest source of what they think is reliable for information. Mm, absolutely. And just to give you an example on that, I've got one of my online clients is actually here in Sydney. And long story short, he was getting issues with his knees. And I was sending him videos, I was sending him mobility routines to do. And I was telling him what the issue was. And it was just persistent. I was telling him in the, in the end to avoid certain movements like lunges and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And on the video he sent me, his knee was rot- just a common thing. His knee was rotating inwards a little bit. So I said, look, do this, that, and the other, you know, without going into too much detail. Anyway, mate, I had him down to the gym last week and I'd done a session with him and it was just simple stuff, but just from me being there in person and giving him like simple teaching cues, touch is important, right? Ads, touch is so important. Just actually putting your hand on the area they should be feeling it or whatever it is. Game changer, absolute game changer. So that's just, that's just right. a prime example. It blew, it blew my, it was just kind of, it brought it to light for me. I thought, wow, it just goes to show, doesn't it? Yep. Definitely. But talk to us a little, and we went off on a little bit of a thing there, but that's fine. I, I think that was very valuable then, what we were talking about. But just give us a little bit more of an insight into your journey, Adam, because uh, as we said, you've been a personal trainer for you know over two decades now. You uh, got to the pro level as a men's physique athlete. You spent years competing, and obviously you, you built a business uh, on the scale of Mind Pump. So uh, just talk to us a bit more about your journey, Adam, and um, you know competing and yeah. Well, as far as like competing goes, the, the I guess the the most interesting part of it or the story of that was um, I never had a desire to do it. Um, I if you were to ask me about bodybuilders and competition, you know, ten years ago, uh, I probably couldn't name you more than three bodybuilders, and it's only because they're super famous that most people all know who they all are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I. I didn't follow the sport. I didn't, I always looked at bodybuilding, um, as an unrealistic ob- obtainable goal for me. Um, I had even experienced, I used steroids in my, uh, mid twenties and even early twenties. Uh, it realized really early that, you know, just taking steroids doesn't make you look like Ronnie Coleman or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, that is a, a combination of years and years of lifting, uh, copious amounts of steroids and incredible genetics. And, um, you know, I did not have incredible genetics for bodybuilding, uh, whatsoever. I hadn't had that many years of experience uh, in bodybuilding. So I never looked at that category of fitness ever 
and never cared about. It. I come more from an athletic background. I love sports. I played sports growing up. I follow basketball and football and most most major sports. So that was kind of my interest in fitness. It was never around that. But when I was starting to move away from uh, personal training in person, uh, I took a hiatus in the cannabis space uh, for about four years. I uh, had an opportunity to start up uh, two of the first medical marijuana clubs. Uh, that was purely motivation and, and drive uh, for financial desires. At that point in my life, I was still chasing a dollar. Um, and when I, I got to a point where I had kind of reached that, realized that um, money wasn't the answer, that uh, in fact, I was uh, extremely unhappy, uh, a little depressed. I had uh, been the worst shape of my life, uh, but with the most money in my pocket. And that was the moment I realized that I wanted more uh, than just that and that I missed uh, being in the fitness space. That's what drove me back into fitness uh, was that realization that I went through. And that was in my late 20s. I was about 20, somewhere between 28 and 29 uh, when I had that epiphany and decided, okay, well, I'm in a place in my life where uh, I have saved enough money that I can support myself uh, without really having an income for a while. And okay, I took some time off and had decided I, I want to get back into fitness, uh, but what, where do I see opportunity? Um, and this was right on the, really when Instagram was really starting to blow up. And Facebook, Facebook obviously had been around already for five plus years. It was already a big thing. Uh, but we were hearing more and more people had built businesses off of Facebook by this time, right? So I'm hearing it, but I haven't really met that many people yet that had done it. So I'm still old dog at this time where I brick and mortar. Every success that I've had has been in real life, nothing virtually built. I didn't have any experience in that or know anybody. Uh, but I'm starting to hear uh, this, all these people that are young and then coming up and they, they built a, a network on, on a Facebook or Twitter at that time or YouTube is coming around. Uh, and they're making money. And I remember I finally met somebody in person and that was Taylor. Uh, and he was, he had built a Facebook following and when he had built it, he had used his, uh, his passion, which was around sneakers and, uh, the information that he could provide and share with people. And he built this network of people. Um, and at that time, I think he only had like 10 or 15,000 people that were in his network and he built a six figure business off of it. And even though it wasn't this massive company, it wasn't super impressive. This was the first real person that I had met that started from zero, built a, a social media following through Facebook, then pivoted and, and monetized a business off of it. And that fascinated me. Uh, it fascinated me. And I, I began digging around uh, into people that were popular in the fitness space on Facebook that were popular in YouTube and then the soon up and coming Instagram at that time. Uh, and what I saw was um, exactly how we started this conversation it was just a lot of crap, just not a lot of good information. A lot of people that were good looking or were talented um, that had the ability to attract a lot of eyes. But as far as the information they were providing, I thought it was really terrible. Um, and at that same exact time that I see all this, um, I'm also in the worst shape of my life. And the light bulb kind of went off for me. Okay, I'm going to transform my body. I'm in the worst shape of my life at 30 years old. I'm going to transform my body into the best shape of my life. And I'm going to document it on these platforms. I turned on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram all at once. 
and began. Uh, and back then, it was all under "We Love to Hate Adam." That was my fitness business name for my boot camps, and so I just kept that going as kind of my social media name. And I started to uh, build a following uh, around my transformation and providing uh, real information. I was not trying to. Uh, you know, take photos of myself just when I had a good pump or with great lighting. I would show you what I looked like in the morning time in front of my crappy mirror and crappy lighting and without a pump. And this is where I'm at. And then I would share all the information, how I'm dieting. And it, a lot of the information I was sharing at that time uh, was counter common knowledge. You know, uh, here I was the guy who was saying like, oh, you know, I was anti-beast mode, all the things that were popular hashtags uh, on Instagram. I was counter to that. Uh, and I would and I would show these weekly updates of my body. So my original goal was I'm going to go from the worst shape of my life, which I was at 20% body fat, and I'm going to take myself to the best shape of my life. And even though I had 15 years experience as a trainer, I never got myself below eight nine percent body fat. That's about I carried myself. I carried myself comfortably between nine and 15% body fat my whole trainer career. Uh, and at this point, I've now shot up to 20% because I left fitness for a while to do cannabis. And so the whole idea was I'm going to show uh, myself go from fat to fit and uh, fit for me was going to be the best shape of my life. And I'm going to document all of it. So the goal was sub, you know, 8% because I'd never seen lower than that. And I did. And I, and again, I used a lot of uh, uncommon knowledge that I was sharing with people and counter to what they were probably seeing on, on Instagram at that time. And I think it started, I mean, not think it did start to gain traction as I started to really change. I mean, the first probably, you know, three months or so, it was like talking to myself. And I think more and more people started to see my physique change and change and change. And then in started more questions and more followers. And so uh, it took about a year or so for me to get all the way down to that. Uh, I went and I, and I did a hydrostatic way. So I did the body fat test through that originally. And then I, at the end, uh, decided to go down and do it again to show the difference. And I had gone from, you know, 19.9% body fat down to 7.4% body fat, the best shape I've ever been in my life and documented all shared pictures, everything. And it gained so much traction from people that that's what inspired me to go further. And I thought, okay, I just went from the worst shape of my life, best shape of my life and documented it. And everybody was eating it up and loving it and, and follow, I'm gaining followers, gaining followers okay, uh, let's keep going. Let's show these people that I can be a no-name no person, no team, no connections to coaches, no pool whatsoever, uh, and now I'm going to go compete with the, the, the best of the best in that world. And at that time, I saw men's physique as a category that I had a chance to even compete in uh, because it, uh, it's, I think it's a more a realistic look for somebody who doesn't have uh, unbelievable genetics or that is willing to take that uh, amount of steroids to get what it takes to probably do a professional bodybuilder. And I saw that category and said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to show everybody that I can do this. And so the original goal was just to prove that I could get on stage, I can compete and I can hang with uh, the best physiques in the country uh, in the men's physique category. And so I trained to do it. I documented that. It gained more traction. And I also uh, kind of fell in love with it. It was fun. Like I had a really good time uh, doing it because even after 15 years of coaching clients, it had brought me a whole new 
perspective because I had never competitively dieted. I've never competitively trained my body. Up to that point, I was just a, a fitness geek who loved working out, loved trying different exercises, loved sports science, like kind of was like that. Wasn't really into, I mean, I, I wanted uh, to get, be buff and look better and stuff like that, but not not really, really bad. Probably not as bad as like Sal talks about, uh, you mm. know, how much motivation it was for him. I had more of a blend of Sal and Justin. Like yeah, Justin was pure sports that attracted him and all the sports science. Sal was purely aesthetics and the way I want to look. I'm probably in the middle. Like I wasn't extreme on either one of them. I, I like to work out and look good. I also like training to play better basketball. Like, so I was that way for many years. Now it wasn't until I decided to take this training and document, uh, document, uh, document my whole journey to that level. Uh, I never just, I had never thought about that until that moment. And it really was just to gain attention from the space and also create myself as an authority because everybody else looked up to all these, these pro competitors as an authority. I mean, some of the uh, most popular people on Instagram are some of your men's physique, women's bikini, and uh, men's bodybuilders in the space. And they're providing all the information and lots of people, millions of people are listening to them. And I thought if I could just prove that I can hang with these people and uh, physique wise, then that will give me enough credibility that people at least will listen. They'll at least listen to me and then I can educate them on a lot of the information they're providing. So there was always this master plan for me behind why I got into it. I always had an exit plan. Uh, I always knew that uh, once uh, whatever it was at that time, because what I didn't know was it was going to shape up to be Mind Pump Media. I didn't know that I was going to meet Sal and Doug. I didn't know that we were going to form this bond together and then just really push everything towards a podcast. I didn't know that. All I knew was I was going to make waves in the fitness space. I was going to disrupt what everybody else was kind of saying at the, at the time. I was going to earn my, my stripes by taking my physique to the, the highest level of competing so people could see I, I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Then I could really spit the knowledge and start to help all these people out. And that was how I was going to build a business. Um, it really morphed into Mind Pump Media and Maps when Sal and Doug and Justin, we all kind of combined forces. That's really where the evolution of the entire business played out. Uh, but you know, the journey to build a Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube following for me started even you know two and a half, three years before Mind Pump started. Mm. Yeah, and that takes me on to you know because losing weight, obviously you you got to your worst shape ever. You said yeah. right, so you literally went from like well, you know, for a lot of people it probably wasn't you know for the average person it probably wasn't anything crazy, but for you right, who've always been fit, you know, always in shape pretty much your whole life. You know, you, you let yourself go, so to speak, and then you pull it back. You know, you go yourself into elite level, you know, pro level men's physique athlete. But, you know, when it comes to weight loss in general, and, you know, I'm just thinking now of my listeners, people listening to this, some of them are thinking of competing, but the bulk of them, you know, they just want to create sustainable health. And, you know, we don't have a weight loss problem necessarily, right? It is the fact that 80 to 90% of people will lose a significant amount of weight in their lifetime only to gain it back and more, right? So, right, right. you know, how do you how do you get that message across to people? Because so many people get sucked into the uh, to the short term. Whether it's you know we've got F forty five here, right, in Australia, which uh, which is absolutely blown up by the way, as you can imagine, because it's uh, yep. you know based on intensity and and people kind of buy into the uh, 
you know, the short-term results, right? But to get the long-term results out, um, ads, there's a lot more to it, right? Because you made it sound quite easy then in terms of going from letting yourself go to getting in that shape. But, you know, it took you a year to get up there. Um, it's, it's a long game. Well, That's you know, important, right, Ad? Yeah, and you, you bring up a, a really good point in something that um, was part of my messaging. So one of the things that I didn't share with you right now that I did while I was documenting this entire journey was – my goal was to show these people um, that I was at, you know, 20, you're right. 20% is not like, you know, there's probably somebody who's extremely higher than that. It's like, that's not out of shape. I, w- I would love to be there. Well, for me, I'd never seen anywhere near 20% body fat before. It was significantly, especially for someone who's considered himself a trainer. You felt your belly. So um, I want to interrupt you there real quickly. I remember you saying the wake up call was when you were in bed and you lied on your side and you felt your stomach, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah, you saying first that. Time yeah, for a kid who was a skinny kid who had, who had uh, his whole life tried to put weight on and be bigger, uh, I had I had never ever thought of myself as being fat or overweight or ever identified as that whatsoever until this night I was laying in bed and I, I reached to scratch my side. And when I did, I felt my belly hanging and I had never felt that before. And that was, and that got me to hop up out of bed and go kind of flip the light on and look at myself in the mirror and you know, and I couldn't remember before that when the last time was I actually kind of really, really looked at my physique in the mirror. And I thought, wow, I really kind of let myself uh, go. But one of the things that I had shared that I th- uh, that also was uh, different than the messaging that was going out there, most people that are trying to lose fat or lose weight uh, and that are promoting that online, they're always like showing these like quick transformation photos or, oh, I'm down two more pounds. Oh, I'm down five more pounds. Oh, you know, all this stuff to show people, oh, we lost 15 pounds in 30 days or whatever. Well, I was trying, I was sharing with the audience that the right way to do this is so slow and gradual that the scale doesn't move. So one of the things that I was most proud of on that uh, transformation was there's a four pound difference. Mm. So, and if you look at me, it's like, you would, you know, you would lose all the, if you bet all your money on uh, trying to guess the weight difference in there, you would, you would lose it all for sure. Because I never fluctuated more than four pounds in that entire, you know, nine month to a year. I can't remember what the final time was. That it took That's me crazy. And you dropped like time. 30% body fat, whatever it was. It goes to show that. Right. Yeah. So, right. To lose, to lose that, that much, uh, body fat percentage, but then this not allow the scale to move any more than about four pounds the entire time. Uh, is slow and gradual and methodical. And that was what I was trying to get across with people is to not get caught up in the, you know, oh, I'm trying to, I'm fat and I need to lose weight. So I'm, I'm doing everything I can just to see the scale go down, go down and go down. And that's a really bad indicator of good programming and good balance of diet. What I want to see is I know I'm weight training. I know I'm making better food choices. I want to see a nice, even exchange. I add about a pound of muscle and I probably lost about a pound of fat and I'm just kind of going back and forth. And it's extremely difficult to do that, but it's the healthiest way and it's the most sustainable way long term because what ends up happening when you when you diet that way is I never felt like I was in this extreme diet. I never felt like I was depriving my body a ton of calories just to get my body fat percentage down. Sure, when I got to the more extreme numbers and I was competing, that of course, that felt that way and you know what that's like. Mm-hmm. But to go from out of shape into really good shape you know, I could do it in a manner that I was always feeding my body a good amount of calories. In fact, that was what I was always talking about was my, my goal is to keep increasing my calories so that my bot, my metabolism is ramping up through building muscle. So if I'm going to build muscle and I want to lose body fat, I'm going to focus more on 
building muscle because I know as I build muscle, that's going to speed my metabolism up. It's only going to make my losing body fat easier down the, 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 down the road. So, you know, that was kind of the messaging when I was going through the diet and I was sharing people my calories and my water intake and the exercise that I was doing was I wanted to show them that, you know, you actually really don't, even if you feel quote unquote fat, you don't want to see yourself move a ton on the scale. Uh, first of all, the initial movement that you see down is mostly water and stuff. And then if you just get in this game of burning more calories, restricting more calories, uh, eventually you come to a hard stop. And that's where most people hit these plateaus after, you know, 30 or 60 days of dieting and training is they've played that game too fast. And now they have, their body has adapted to this new caloric maintenance and they're already exercising like crazy. And they already feel like they're restricting a ton. And now they're like, fuck, where do I go from now? Like, sure, I had a great start, 30, 60 days. I've been seeing great change every week. Or you thought it was great because you were seeing change in the numbers and the scale. Or you felt your waist going down. But you were going so hard so fast that the body's now caught up, adapted, figured out how much you're going to feed it and how hard you're going to train it. And now you're at this hard plateau and you're like, oh, shit, where do I go from here? I'm already pushing the max days I can exercise. I already feel like I'm restricting so many calories. And this is where most people break. Most people, especially the average person goes, well, fuck, uh, I was happier eating my Doritos and not exercising five days a week because I was just a few pounds heavier. You know what I'm saying? They, exactly. That's the justification they have in their head. That's and exactly the only right. other people that, that, right. And the, the majority of the people that we see break through that right now are the crazy competitive people that can compete. And they, the only difference between the two people is that those people have the discipline to say, fuck it. I don't care. I'm going to go lower. I'm going to push harder. I'm going to add more. And that's why we get this vicious cycle is we either have one extreme, the people that are following those people that hit the hard plateau, then they give up and say, fuck it. It's not for me. Or the people that fall in love with it, get addicted to it and go like, fuck it. I have that. And they can grind it out and they still keep pushing their bodies, which is why we see so many eating disorders in the competitive space is because what it takes to get to that level, if you, especially if you don't do it healthy and right, because it's already a, a dangerous sport for what you're doing nutritionally to yourself. And then you add in the fact that you're not doing it the best way. Oh man, it's, a, and those are the people. Those are the people that are also providing the information to all these people. So mm. it's a vicious cycle. And not to mention, I didn't it like the yo-yo diet. And I'm just going to give you another example now because I actually competed in October. I had my last show in October. I had about three, four years out of competing. I competed over here. And um, I reversed dieted out of it. This is like three months ago. And I was actually in a po at a point where I was finding it because of all, you know, kind of intermittent fashion. A lot of the stuff you guys have brought to light for me. Um, but you know, I, I have a hard time eating more than three times in a day. So I generally feel better in the mornings when I'm fasted. So I was having three meals a day and I was struggling to get the calories in. Um, so that was, that was a good thing. But I guess where I'm going with this is your body is, especially after you've competed, right? Your body is primed to store fat. This is an extreme example, oh, yeah. but what I did notice, and I've, I've, I've heard you mention this before. What I did notice is, um, although I was super shredded for this comp and my condition was there, I still wasn't quite as shredded as what I had been in the past. And as I mentioned yeah. on your podcast before, I, uh, you know, I used to binge and stuff after comps and whatnot. But I think even just relating this to the average person, um, it's probably the worst thing you can do unless you're, you know, like Adam said, you're focusing on like, you know, being patient for a start. 
But I think adding, you know, adding more whole foods as, oppo- as opposed to restricting, adding foods that you're missing um, and, and, you know, focusing on like, right, I'm in this for the long haul instead of the short term stuff. Because one of the worst things you can do, Ad, right, is obviously yo-yo diets um, because your body gets better and better at, at storing fat essentially, right? Oh, 100%. And that is the reason why it's so important to go at it slow. And I don't, I think that's what people don't fully grasp because most people that tell you like, I don't care. I just, I've got a wedding in six, six weeks, or I've got Vegas coming up and I just want to get there as fast as I possibly can. But if they really understood the repercussions of dieting that way that, okay, so sure this Vegas trip or sure this wedding or sure whatever this event is, this one, you're going to get to that great shape. But you understand that just because you decided to do that, the next time you decide to do it, it's going to be even harder. And the next time you decide to do it, it's going to be even harder after that. And if you've done that enough times, it almost feels impossible to do it after you've done that long enough. And so this is why it's so important. And this is where we see things, you know, adrenal fatigue uh, or meta, this is where the quote unquote meta, metabolic, uh, you know, um, uh, damage or adaptation comes from that we talk about. You know, this is because someone has done that for so many times that they have just, you know, slowed their their metabolism down. And that's why the term got a lot of a bad press of, you know, metabolic damage. Well, your your metabolism isn't damaged. That's not true. It's it's doing what you're telling it to do. Mm. You know, it's it you you starve, feed, starve, feed. And so it slows way down if you're not in that, in that feed mode. If you're starting to restrict, it slows way down and it gets used to that really quick. And the more times that you've done that, the better it gets at that. And when, and when you're trying to lose body fat, that's not advantageous. You don't want it to be so used to it that you've already been here before. Oh, oh, Adam's starving me again. You know, this is the 10th time we've been here. You know, we, here's the 10th time we've done this diet where everybody's classic or favorite diet they do, you know, and it's, it's getting, it gets smarter. Your metabolism says, oh shit, he's not going to feed me. I need to conserve energy. I need to slow down. Mm. And so, yeah, no, you're absolutely, it's, it's not a good idea to ever do it. It's definitely not a good idea to get caught in that. And the reality is that, you know, very few people do it one time and never again. And what ends up happening is you do it, you go to Vegas, you drink, you party, you fall off the wagon, and, and then you start the whole cycle again. And what ends up happening is years and years and years of doing that, it just becomes so impossible. And then what ends up happening is that same person just attributes it to getting old. And, you know, this is a part of getting old. I'm getting old now. And, you know, my metabolism, I'm slowing down because I'm older. And, None of that stuff is true. It's no, because you've tra- yeah, you've trained your metabolism to get a used to that way of, of feeding it and starving it and then overtraining it. And so because it's so resilient now, it doesn't respond the way you would like it to respond like it did when you were 20. You know, everyone, everyone has a story like that. If you talk to anybody who's 40 and above, they can all share a story of when they were 20 and they could eat whatever they wanted. And then when they decided to get in shape, they switched it on and boom, they were in shape in a couple of weeks. Well, that's because that was only the ninth time you had done that. Mm. Now you're on the fucking 200th time that you've done that and your fucking metabolism has gotten smart. Exactly. It's figured this out. So we don't want to do that. What we want to do is, an, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do a nice, subtle, you know, change, you know, day over day, week over week, month over one, month. I don't want fast changes. And even for clients that think they're seeing good results, I used to have to try and remind them of that. Like, you know, oh, they hire me. They say they want to, you know, lose 30 pounds. You know, we start the first week off and they're, oh, I'm down five. Oh, I'm down six. I'm like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. This is not good. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? This is why I hired you. No, 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 no. You, <laughs> you hired me to help you. Like, this isn't going to help you. Sure, you're going to get the weight off really quick, but it's coming back. It'll come back with a vengeance if we keep on this pace 
of just chasing the scale. Like you got to get out of that mindset. Like I, I want to build your metabolism. I want to feed your body properly nutritionally. I want to build some sort of program in that's sustainable for you for the rest of your life. Not some crazy ass routine that you're killing yourself right now and you're starving yourself just to get to the fastest results. Because what I know is that's a recipe for disaster. Definitely. And what is the best way, Adam, for most people, you know, to get in shape long term? Whether they're, you know, I have a few competitors listen to this, a few trainers, but the majority of people are just, you know, just the average person who, who wants to improve their health and, and, you know, kind of maybe change the way their physique looks. So what, the, the most important things, Adam, that you will, uh, your habits and behavior, your, your behaviors, you'll get your clients to change uh, to get those long-term results. And if you could just talk a little bit more about training programming as well, that would be great. So. So that, that's where I would start. If we're talking to the average person who I'm really trying to help with health and fitness and, and being in better shape, uh, my messaging is completely different today than what it was you know, 15 years ago as a trainer. Uh, 15 years ago as a trainer, I would sit down and you know, break down your macros based off of your body weight, your goal. I'd write out this you know, extreme program to get you there, and then it was all about accountability and motivation to get you there. Uh, totally different uh, conversation that I have with that same person today. Uh, today, I look for the most basic, simple things that they're not doing and try and help them create new habits and behaviors. Uh, and I also know that uh, people are extremely more successful with creating new behaviors when you attach it to other behaviors. Uh, so for example, if you've created a routine of getting up and brushing your teeth every morning, uh, it's much easier to teach yourself to floss at that same time than it would be to try and floss somewhere in the middle of the day. Great example. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So same thing goes for building good habits with health and fitness. Um, you already have a good routine of getting up an extra hour before you work. Currently right now, what you do is have a cup of coffee, breakfast, and, you know, read your favorite uh, news article or, or uh, website. Um, so, you know, what I might add to that is go, okay, what I want you to do, because you already get up that time, um, is actually go for a walk for 30 minutes in that morning and listen to your favorite news, you know, source or whatever like that. That way, I can get some movement and steps in. And when I when I find I do things like that, the average person goes like, "Oh, fuck, that's easy. I'm already I'm already up an hour. I was already kind of listening or reading something. Okay, I I can discipline myself now to just put it in my headphones and go. And I'm like, I don't want you to run. I don't want you to do anything crazy. I just want you to go for a walk." You know, go for a nice stroll for a half hour to hour, whatever time frame that I I think is realistic to set as a goal for that person. Uh, that's not fundamentally changing their day yet. Uh, that's how I start, and then I look the same way that I treat exercise. So that would be my first uh, uh, goal for them in the direction of being healthier and moving more. Uh, then I, if I'm addressing nutrition, um, I like them to track for you know a week to two weeks consistently, and during that time, I don't want them to eat. Like they're impressing me. I always say that. Like, listen, I know I'm your trainer. I know I'm looking at your diet. Please don't eat like knowing that. Don't, you know, don't track food because you want to impress me, like how good you eat. I want you to eat the way you ate last week or the week before. Like, I need you to be as normal as possible. So that means if you have, you know, quote unquote cravings or things that you like to let in the diet, like go for it. Just track it for me so I can kind of see what a normal week looks like. And then what I do is I look at the diet. And again, instead of telling them they can't have or restricting, I look for things that I can insert into it. Um, I recently just did that for a client friend of mine that I'm, I'm helping right now. 
And so we're at this exact phase in, in my coaching or helping with her. And, you know, I, she eats pretty well. Uh, but the areas that I, I see her missing are one of the common ones, uh, not enough fiber, uh, yeah. a little light on, on the protein. Uh, and so what I'll do and she, and then yet she still had wine in there. She had, I think a fast food, uh, meal in there. I don't comment on any of that. All I say is, Hey, I see how you're eating this coming week. What I want you to do is to make sure, and I noticed on Saturday and Sunday, Saturday and Sunday were also her, her worst days of eating choices. So I addressed those two days. I said, Hey, next weekend, what I want you to do is to make sure you have a giant salad with uh, six ounces of chicken in, inside of it. And then like a big bowl of berries and fruit mm. and, you know, have it whenever you want, but just make sure you insert it into your day. And what I know there is by adding the vegetables and adding the bowl of berries, I'm addressing the fiber intake, adding the six ounces of chicken. I know that I'm getting her to eat a little bit more protein like I need her to. And the most important part is because I'm not talking about her fast food, I'm not talking about her wine, I'm not telling her she can't do anything yet. Mm-hmm. That What that does psychologically for somebody is unbelievable. And that took me years of training clients before I pieced that together. Is what I know inevitably is as I keep adding things and every week I'll, I give her like new goals of things that I want her to do nutritionally, I know eventually I'll build that perfect dream meal plan that I want as a trainer to get her eating like. But I, what I know psychologically what it's doing to her is I'm never telling her she can't do something. I'm always saying, hey, let's get more of this. And eventually more of this and more of this ends up replacing those other things that are less valuable nutritionally because she can't find a way to fit it in. All of a sudden she's focused on, oh, Adam, you know, coach told me I need to get this in for the day. And so she's thinking about that. Well, why she's thinking about that She's not thinking about that other thing that she would have done that would have been bad. And, oh, it just kind of naturally weeds some of that stuff out. And, again, the, the psychological part that it plays when you're, when you're trying to coach somebody up, uh, man, that's the type of ways that you, you create behaviors long term. And then the next phase of doing all that stuff is then to, if you want to solidify that as a behavior for them, is to follow up to ask follow-up questions. And this goes back to, again, like how do people do this virtually without have done this in person in a lot of conversations is you learn to attach uh, all the other aspects of eating well um, to, you know, most people that, you know, purchase coaching from you or I, they, they want the, the, here are the common goals. I want to lose fat or I want to lose weight. I want to build muscle. I want to be healthy, real general, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't I don't want to talk to those three things when I'm talking about how the exercise and how the nutrition is. I want them to learn to attach to their skin, their hair, their mood, their stool, their sex drive, their energy level, their relationships with other people. So I'm speaking to all those other intangible things that they're not used to probably hearing from a trainer talking about. And what I know is that those are the things that really will make them last forever. And those are the things, if you can make them become aware that, you know, now I follow, I, I have her bumper fiber. So what I know about fiber, if I have a client who's under consuming fiber, uh, especially regularly, like a lot of people do, uh, their stool is normally off. Either one, they, they don't have regular poops or two, when they do have poops, they're constipated or they're inconsistent. And so I know right away by getting her fiber intake up to where it's supposed to be, I already know the response I'm going to get when I follow have the follow-up question. I go, hey, so how's your stool now? Oh, I, you know, it's been actually really normal and good. Like, oh, okay, now I can coach. and Because I don't tell them what, what's, what could possibly go on with their fiber. I ask them afterwards to help them make that connection themselves. 
Hmm. And once they make that connection, then I educate them on what was going on. Well, there's a good chance that you weren't getting enough fiber in your diet. That's why you felt inconsistent or constipated or your stool is off. You know, I, by me telling you to have that salad and that bowl of berries, what you don't know is indirectly I bumped your fiber by 15 to 20 grams. And that extra fiber is all you needed to make you more regular and poop normal. Now, that's why it's important that you stay on top of that on your diet. If you ever notice yourself not feeling right with digestion, it could be that you're not getting enough fiber in your diet. And these are some good sources that we should always include in your diet. And now that she's, now she's going like, now when she makes that choice to go get a big old salad or get berries, she knows how much better her digestion feels and her stool is. And that is enough to drive me to go do it. Forget about the fact that it's lower in calorie and it's you know, healthier nutritionally for me, or it's going to help me build muscle or burn body fat. Those are all the boring, normal things that everybody talks about. Help her attach it to the other things in her life that really benefit her, like pooping normal. I mean, that's something that we fucking yeah. just take for granted that a lot of people just think that it shitting should be rough. Like, it's just, <laughs> like, you know, it's how many, I've trained so many clients that just think that it's normal to have like crazy bowel movements or, you know, have diarrhea shits every other day. Like, that stuff is not, that's your body trying to speak to you. And when you can better in, in, inform your clients on some of the, the pitfalls of, of digestion and what plays a role in that uh, nutritionally, it then will motivate them to make better food choices, not because they want to look better in the mirror or they want to hit their weight loss goal or they want to bench press 400 pounds because they just want to feel good long term. And no matter what your goal is, sports performance, muscle, fat loss, everybody wants to feel better. So uh, and the same thing goes for hair and sleep and, you know, mood and energy. I know when I start balancing that diet out and making sure they're getting all the nutrients they should, you start to see these things. You see things like libido go up. You see things like hair, skin improve. And a, a lot of times that's just because they were lacking somewhere nutritionally. You've now added those things into their diet. And then when you can help make them make that connection that, oh, well, that's the reason why you feel that way, you know, right? We ate like this the last two days, this is your body thanking you for feeding it that way. And you help them make that connection. It's a lot more motivating for them to sacrifice. Oh man, I'm just craving right now a Burger King and a McFlurry or some bullshit. Right. And they're, but then they're like, yeah, but you know what? Tomorrow I'll just, I know I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have the shits. And then at work, I notice I feel this way. And I, then I, I feel lethargic and I don't feel as sharp when I'm working. And they start to, instead of being, oh, that's going to make me fat or, oh, that's so delicious. I want it so bad. They start making the, the connections to how it impacts your life in so many other aspects. And when they can do that, it becomes less of a, I can't have, and it becomes more of a, I don't want that actually. I think I want it because my body's craving it or that advertisement on TV just hit me at the right time because I was hungry. But when I really think about it, I don't, I don't really want that because I don't want to feel like the way it's going to make me feel afterwards. And yeah, it'll give me instant gratification, but the way I'll pay for it later. And people that are in their 40s and plus really understand this. Getting this message across to somebody who's earlier in their you know, teens, their 20s, who their digestive system is still really resilient, uh, it's a little bit harder to communicate to them. But once they get it and understand it and feel the difference, uh, much easier for them to commit to that long-term making those behavioral changes. Definitely, it's so rare to find someone who uh, who has adequate fiber, and it's such a game changer. You could, you could, uh, I know you've, um, you can definitely, definitely identify with this. In terms of just eating more vegetables, right? And as you said, berries, spinach leaves, just more plant based foods in general, um, mm -hmm. it changes the game. And that's that's primarily, well, obviously, it's a combination of the vital chemicals and all that. But just by having more fiber, 
is a game changer because, you, as you say, you start connecting the dots then. And when you get to that point, uh, eat it intuitively. You've got to be careful when you use that, those words, Ad, eat it intuitively, yeah. right? Because yeah, it's yeah. being thrown around everywhere now. But when you get yeah. to that level, when you, you start connecting the dots in terms of how you feel, your energy levels, your skin, your stool, all those things, that is what really uh, takes you takes you a massive, massive, massive leap forward. But uh, I'm mindful of your time, Ad, right? So I've got, got two more little things I want to fire at you. In terms mm-hmm. of building muscle, what is the biggest myths, Adam, would you say? Uh, I would say that more equals more is one of the biggest ones. So yeah, as, a, as, a, as a young kid trying to build muscle, uh, I, I assume just the more I train, the more muscle I would build. Uh, that's a hard one to overcome and to explain to people because a lot of the research uh, shows that. you know, As we increase volume, you build more muscle. So and volume is basically more sets, more reps, more weight. Uh, so even scientifically speaking, it sounds like, Hey, the more I do, the more muscle I build. And there is some truth to that, but I think that has created more of a problem than it's actually helped those that are really trying to build a program. And so it creates the same, uh, mentality around nutrition. It keeps, it creates the same mentality around, uh, weightlifting. They're all or nothing. So the way we talked about, uh, the, the, uh, what happens to our metabolism and how unhealthy it is for you to, you know, be off the diet, then all of a sudden you're on. And when you're on, you're restricting like crazy and you're you're training and you're burning a ton of calories. That's not healthy for metabolism. The same thing is true for uh, building muscle. Uh, You're off the wagon, you're not training, then all of a sudden you're crushing yourself in the gym. And uh, I think that's one of the biggest myths that's permeated the industry and space. And that's how people, most people get in shape. Mm -hmm. They fall out of shape during the holidays. They, uh, it's a new year, new resolution. And they sign up for F45 or Orange Theory or CrossFit or even if they don't sign up for one of those things, they decide that they're new way of life and they start dieting and they start training and they find the program that kicks their ass because they after they're done with that workout, they feel amazing because of the cortisol rush. So that I, I think that's one of the biggest myths and problems is they set themselves up for the same or similar adaptation as the people that. Uh, starve their bodies nutritionally and go on the yo-yo dieting is mm. you, know, you throw that at your body it goes from couch to you know training to failure or these circuit-based type classes that are high intensity and sure it gives you great results just like dieting really hard does with nutritionally for the first six to eight weeks and then guess what happens mm. body adapts body adapts and it gets used to that and then again where do you go from there so uh i i'm I hate the uh, intensity variable always being manipulated uh, and focused on. Like in our space, it's all about beast mode, all out, the uh, training to failure and all the benefits of that. Like we promote all that message. And just because there's a little bit of science to support the things like training to failure, increased volume, you know, training hard, like, yes, there's, there's some, there's a time for that Mm. and it's a tool but it's an, a very abused tool in our space that really sets up a lot of people for failure. Mm. And a lot of people don't know they're being set up for failure. What they think is just, they ain't got it. They ain't got what it takes. I wasn't meant to be a fitness influencer. I wasn't meant to be a fitness model because I tell you what, I can only beat myself up and eat this low calories for so long. Fuck it. I don't want to do it. And they end up quitting or they end up giving up shortly. And then they come back later and they just get in that vicious cycle. So uh, the same thing that I see and problem I see with nutrition, it's reflected on the, the exercise programming side. Uh, the, again, more thinking more, it means more results. And it doesn't necessarily mean that. Sure, in a short-term study of six to 12 weeks, it does. 
You know, they Sal shared a, a study on the podcast recently. Failure, they, going to training to failure. Was it that one? Yes. Yeah. yeah and yeah. they showed, they showed that the uh, or that that was, this was the increased volume one. They showed he, oh, right. the same day. He talked about both of them on the same day. Yeah. But the increased volume uh, over you know every week over six weeks versus somebody who kept the same amount of volume versus somebody who decreased or whatever. And obviously, the group that increased volume week over week for six weeks uh, or eight weeks, six or eight weeks saw tremendous value. And it's like, of course they did, you know, because you're increasing volume, but sooner or later you hit a, you hit a threshold, you hit a point where the body is not going to adapt anymore based off the volume because it's, you've hit your max capacity and just going harder and adding more is not going to necessarily give you results. In fact, you get to start to get diminishing returns. And, uh, Max Marzo was on our uh, podcast. Loved really loved it. Yeah. Well, and if you're, you're listening right now and you want more information on that, he, he really dove into that. But that, that's another area that I just I think is one of the biggest problems or myths in the bodybuilding or the workout space is programming and you know this everyone and it's partly us trainers' faults. I was it was partly my fault. Um, yeah, I gravitated I was, I was part of it as well. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, I, I I would gravitate towards workouts that were hard and different and unique because that's what attracted the clients. Because if I if you trained with Justin first and then you hired me second. And, um, you know, one of the things you say to me is like, yeah, you know, I, I, Justin was a really nice guy, but his, his workouts were boring. You know, they're the same, they're boring. And I'm like, fuck, okay. I gotta, I gotta show them something different, you know, yeah. or, you know, oh, they were too easy. And I'm like, oh man, I got to bring it to them. So, you know, we, we, we drive on this, uh, intensity and creativity, uh, message. And again, we were, I was just as guilty of doing it, which is also where all my passion comes from to help fix it is I feel bad and guilty that I helped promote that message when I know now that I was really setting most of these people up for failure. And the, the real uh, answer for that person that's seeking help is less is more, not yeah. more is more results. Less is more. Let's, let's look at a couple of things that I can add into your life that you weren't doing before. That's going to positively infect you health wise. And I started with the steps one and adding it to a behavior you already have. That's literally where I want to start. I want to start there. Like we haven't, we're not talking about squats yet. We're not talking about deadlifts. We're not talking about the fastest way to burn fat or build muscle yet. We're not even there. It's like, let's just start adding behaviors uh, that will promote long-term health for you before we start talking about what's going to build the most muscle, burn the most body fat, make you jump higher. Like, okay, we'll get there. But for the average person, I just want to start making healthy behaviors. And what I know, somebody who gets up, every single day and they walk for 30 minutes to an hour and they never did that before i have significantly improved that person's health just from that alone like that by itself is a is a way is a huge difference and from a calorie burn perspective it's not so the average person goes oh what are you talking about adam walking for 45 minutes is only oh, equivalent. happens to me all the time that when it destroys me they look at me like are you serious you want me to walk more yep yeah <laughs> it's but it's so so Powerful. important uh, to do that. And, and again, it's sustainable. It's easy for people to do. And then, then when I finally start to introduce, you know, exercise and programming, it is very basic. You know, I, I want to teach them how to do some of the, the most important basic moves like squatting, deadlifting, overhead pressing. And I'm going to start with the minimal dose. You know, my goal always is to do as least as possible to elicit the most amount of change. So I'm going to program a few things for them. And I only want them to do it two times a week, maybe, maybe three. If I, if I think they're, they're definitely somebody who can stay consistent with that. But I mean, I'll always lean towards 
you know, less at first, because I know that gives me room to always build on that. And the biggest challenge that I have with coaching uh, this way with people is getting them to trust you. Uh, uh, obviously, now it's uh, it's easy because of uh, the authority that we've created for ourselves with the podcast. But you know, as a coach, you know, five plus years ago, that would be hard. It, I'd have I'd have to really uh, nail this down or drill it into someone's head that listen, I know you want to do more days because you have more days, but I don't need you to do that yet. Let's save that. There, mm-hmm. There'll come a time where I'm going to ask you to train five days a week and I don't want you to yet because we don't need to because I'm going to be able to add exercise into your your week and your body will start to see change and it will start to adapt uh, now. And uh, throwing more at it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get more results. Sure, it might mean more results in a small study of six weeks, but over the course of six months or the rest of your life, it's actually setting you up for failure to try and chase that goal so hard so fast. Again, I want to do as little as possible to elicit the most amount of change. This leaves me lots of opportunity and room to manipulate your program as we start to progress over the next six to eight to 12 to 16 to you know beyond weeks. It's so challenging. Though. Yeah, that's such a, some great points you made there. And I'd just like to say that to any, anyone listening, really, you know, really hone in on the things Adam was saying then in terms of lifting weights and getting maximum results in the gym. Focus on each exercise as a skill, right? And just get good at those movements. And normally, if you, most people are either doing too much or, you know, or they're not, they're not doing anything, right? So for the people who are doing more and they've hit a plateau, yeah. a lot of people can relate to that. It's normally just scaling back and going back to basics. And like you said, the stuff you're doing outside of the gym, moving more. Drinking plenty of water, getting that fiber, and it's pretty simple, right, Ad? But not necessarily easy. Yeah, and and it, and it depends on who I'm talking to, of right? Course, like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, that's also what uh, makes a really good coach. Coach is, you know, I I don't want to present the same message to all the same people because if I, I if I'm talking, when I just explained all that, the avatar or the client I'm envisioning is your average person, your average person who wants to just get in shape, uh, wants to look better, feel better. Uh, fitness and working out is not their passion. Uh, they do it so they can get those benefits. That's it. You know, they're not they're not looking to build a career in fitness. They don't love going to the gym. So that's the messaging. Is I'm I'm speaking around that now. <clears throat> if I'm talking to somebody who's borderline addicted to the gym or loves the gym and they have a career around it and they've been training hard for a really long time and they can't understand why they're at a plateau, you're right. Uh, that person it could be. You know, you got to remember that. Uh, working out and exercise is a stress in the body. It's a good stress. And why it's considered a good stress is because the adaptation that it causes in your body. You know, if you were to look at all the markers, why we're exercising and someone was just to hook like an EKG and a, you know, MRI and all this, all these machines to us to read what's the happening in the body. Well, if, and you didn't know what they were doing, we would freak out. We'd see heart rates all elevate. You see all these things going on. You would freak out and go like, Oh my God, something's wrong with this person and their body's being stressed like crazy. Oh, it's because they're exercising. But it's what happens afterwards uh, when their body recovers and adapts that that's so healthy. But that being said, it doesn't mean that we can't overstress it. And we don't realize, too, that there's different types of stress. And it's what's killing us today is that low-level stress that we get all the time. And if you're somebody who's already addicted to the gym, what ends up normally happening, if you have that type of personality where you could even get to the gym, you probably have a type A type of personality. And that's how you approach all other aspects of your life. Your go, go, go at work, your balls to the wall is with your friends. You're the leader of the group. You are constantly telling everybody what to do. You've got a million things going on in your mind. You're a leader of your household. 
you know, you, you, you work a really stressful job, you grind for 10 hours, you also do your gym and you wear this badge of honor around, you know, I can, I can suffer through all of it. And I too can relate to this. I was like this, you know, I was, uh, you know, uh, you know, sleep is for pussies. You know, that was, that was what I, and I thought that way for many years and that type of attitude, uh, can really set you up for failure or, uh, hard plateaus in your training journey. If you're trying to, uh, get in better shape and you can't figure out why, and you're like, I'm training five, six days a week. I eat really good. I do. And you're like, fuck, why is my body not responding to me? Well, that, that conversation is different than the person I'm trying to get off the couch. That person I'm addressing other aspects of their life that they may not realize they've got this low level of stress all the time. And then they go in the gym and guess what type of exercise those people are normally attracted to. Well, yeah, you're right. That's right. F45 or series. You know why that is? That's because they're constantly dealing with low level stress cortisol is getting flattened out. And so that high level intensity is what pushes that pushes up that cortisol level to get that feeling of yes. Yep. An addiction basically, love. isn't it? It's yeah. almost addiction, an addiction yeah, kind you, of cortisol junkies, a, I remember you saying that. Right. If you become a cortisol junkie because you need that. You need to push so hard to get that response in the body. And it becomes this vicious loop that you're constantly chasing that. So you're slamming caffeine and your energy drinks and you're doing high intensity training and you're, you're a badass at work. You're a badass in the gym, but then what the fuck your body's not changing anymore. Well, that's because it's getting stressed all the time. You're not allowing it the proper recovery and adaptation process. And just because you're tearing and breaking down, it doesn't guarantee the body will rebuild and become stronger each time. Cause if you don't allow it to, it won't. Mm. And so this is the conversation I'm having with that person. Right. So, mm. you know, it does depend on who I'm talking to. I don't want like, like my hardcore fitness people to be like, Oh my God, this guy's talking about working out one day a week and walking no, no. only. Yeah. I got these are, I've got nothing for this podcast. I'm out, but no <laughs> my conversation to them is would be, uh, there's more, there's different common pitfalls, right? Like we're totally, I'm totally overgeneralizing uh, at these yeah, it's you know, tough. Groups I know of people, yeah. but I, I, there's definitely uh, large groups of people that fall in this category. Either you're the kind of the person who doesn't really like to work out. You do it because you know you need to do it. Uh, the, the things that I'm trying to do to motivate them to get to the gym is different. I'm trying to create good behaviors for them, help them create this as a habit, a long-term thing, teaching them that less can be more and that it's all about doing as little as possible to elicit change. Then when I'm talking to somebody who doesn't need any of that conversation, they, they've proven they can train five years in a row, six days a week and no take no days off. Like yeah. that, I don't need to try and help that person make exercise behavior. I need to talk to them more about how exercise is starting to get to a place where it's not benefiting them the way they would like it to. And let's look into some of the areas that they can address to help that and get back on to where they probably felt when they first started working out. And so that person sometimes, you know, their six days of training a week, uh, their, their, um, prescription for me is now, okay, we're dropping two of those weight training or cardio days. And I want you to do something meditative yoga or, you know, do some, you know, flow sessions or mobility drills and do something more recuperative, go take an ice bath and do hot, cold plunges and, Let's do stuff that is more recuperative, mm. uh, still health related. Like those, I mean, working on mobility drills, doing sauna, doing cold plunges. These are all things that are, 
you know, strengthening your immune system is going to uh, is going to help support you and 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 still work towards your overall health journey. It's just not heavily focused on building muscle or burning body fat because sometimes the things that we or these type of people attach to burning body fat, building muscle is no longer supporting that that goal because they're overdoing that. And my job or what I'm always trying to do is to give that person the the right amount, the healthy dose of what accelerate that. And sometimes that answer is um, less is, hey, take two days off and start spending two of those days more working or like Paul check would say working inward. Right. So mm. we, have work, we have working out days and then we have working in days. We work out uh, working out days are exercise, uh, physical things. We're lifting things. We're moving. We're doing cardio, things like that. Uh, working in, we're internal. We're trying to be more recuperative, spiritual, go in that direction. And b- both of them support uh, all fitness pursuits, whether that be running faster, jumping higher, losing body fat, building muscle, um, both working in and working out uh, support that that journey. And I think what we're all searching or searching for, most people are, you know, what is the right uh, dose for me for the max amount of results and it's in, it's individual for everybody and trying to help that person figure that out for themselves. Mm, it's so true that your physique then, you know, because I know a lot of people listen to this, want to get in better shape. It, it does the talking then, right? It becomes a byproduct of all the things you mentioned then focusing on all those health markers, right, Ed? Yeah, 100%. We had a, who was it? We were, oh, Jason Phillips, we were, a buddy of ours. We yeah. just talked. And, you know, he deals with a lot of fighters and uh, high, uh, crossfitters and high-level competitors and we were just talking about competitive dieting and for competitive athletes and like the fastest way to get into shape or the fastest way for performance. Like, you know, and the, and the answer still is to get that person healthy first before you try any sort of extremes. And so health always comes first because if you want something, the best, the fastest, long-term, whatever, uh, you, if you address health first, then that stuff will follow and it'll follow a lot easier and a lot faster if your health is in the right place. So you know, no, no matter who I'm talking to, we're, yeah, we're always going to address nutritional health, uh, training, recovery, all those things first before a faster performance. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Ad. I really appreciate your time, mate. That's almost 90 minutes now. You're a legend. I appreciate all that uh, valuable advice, mate. Um, where can where can we find, where's the best places to find you, Ad? I'll put it in the show notes, uh, obviously, know- but... Yeah, well, you know, and honestly, what I like people to do is uh, take care of our or take advantage of our free content. Um, that's the the most important for us is trying to help as many people as we can. And you know, we built this thing off of giving free, valuable information. So I try and drive them to all the good free stuff we have. And mindpumpfree.com has all of our free guides that we've created uh, for people. And you got everything from fat loss to building muscle to building a butt to working on your abs to stuff for trainers. Uh, on there that's all free information and even 30 um, days of free coaching as well which is uh what i actually right. i actually went through that myself mate and it's uh it's awesome right so there's uh you know please take advantage of all the free content we have on there uh and then we have a, a youtube channel mind pump tv um that's uh, obviously free we drop at least three uh education uh or uh, fitness tutorial type um, uh, videos every single week. So take advantage of that on the website, mindpumpmedia.com. We have tons of blogs and bloggers that are writing for us. If you find somebody, you really like the information, you can follow them and just read their blogs. So, you know, subscribe to that. We get a newsletter every single uh, month that gets sent out a Friday fitness tip that gets sent out. So if you're a part of our, our email list that you get that 
uh, every single week and every month. So take advantage of all that. And then you can find uh, all of us host uh, on Instagram is probably where we're the most active with our audience at uh, Mind Pump Adam. You can find my co-host Mind Pump Sal and Mind Pump Justin all there. And uh, that's the best way to probably engage with us is on Instagram. Amazing. Nice one, Adam. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you, brother. Always good catching up with you. Same, same. Have a good day, man. You too.